Psalm 97. Uh, just as we're kind of beginning and going into this, we are in our marveled series, and we stand in awe of who God is. We are marveled at his presence, who he is. He is an awesome God. He is a powerful God, and we believe him, and we trust him. We talked a lot about that last week, about how we believe God in the midst of some really difficult times, and we even lament. We ask the question, why, God, do these things happen? And through them, we trust him. There are people that do not accept who God is. There are people in this world that continue to not believe in a mighty, powerful God who is sovereign over us, and they will not believe in Jesus Christ. And so maybe you've ran across them, and some of their responses are, if you ask the question, well, why don't you believe in God? They might ask something like this, or they might answer something like this, well, if there is a God, and this is more of the agnostic approach of kind of like, well, who knows, anything goes type of a thing, but if there is a God, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So I'll make it. I'll make it through. And some will say, well, if there is a God, I'd rather not know him because maybe there's some anger, there's some bitterness, or there's some history, and they're like, I I don't think God has been good up to this point or something like that. And so they might say something like that. If there is a God, I'd rather not know them. Um, I've heard this one. In fact, when we were at high school camp, I had one of the counselors come up to me and say, um, Pastor Ryan, I don't know how to walk through this with this, this uh, high schooler because this high schooler said, you know, I don't mind spending eternity in hell. In fact, if that's the direction I'm going, I'm fine with that. And that'll just be the way that people respond to it. Uh, some will just say, well, what are you, stupid? Of course there's no God. Look at all the evidence. There's no God. And some will just outright reject that there is even a God. And there are a few that will say this, If there is a God, I know he could never love me because I'm undeserving of it. And maybe that's the one that actually you can really start to turn towards towards God because they're actually at a position where they recognize that there is something wrong, that there is sin in their life, and they need to be forgiven. And so it's a little easier to point them to a God who loves and forgives. You've probably heard of other, other ones as well. But the reality is, and what we're going to see in Psalm 97 and in many other worship-type psalms, is that all creation will know what we know today. At one point in time, all creation will bow before this almighty, supreme God. We're told this in Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says. For this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Okay, that's every tongue, believer, unbeliever, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (coughs) So there in Philippians chapter 2, you're going to see that unbelievers worship God. In Psalm 97, you're going to see that in the future, unbelievers will worship God. And there's a rhythm, I think, to a lot of the praise or worship type psalms and hymns and things like that in Scripture, and that's this type of rhythm. One, you're going to see in this psalm that the Lord reigns supreme. Now, the word supreme in our culture is used a lot to describe food. You notice that? There's uh, There's the supreme pizza, right, which has all the toppings on it. There's the supreme taco, which I would argue probably is not the most supreme taco, but yet it's still out there labeled the supreme taco. Uh, There's chicken supreme and things like that. But Excuse me. There are a lot of, of things that are labeled supreme in the food category. Well, here we're talking about God who is supreme. There is no greater God who reigns than the God that we know. 
And those who follow Jesus Christ and those who follow this God know that he's always right and that he's the most powerful. And so we agree with that. One of the other things you see in worship as as people come to worship is that all creation points to him or will point to him at some point in time. And so you see that in Philippians chapter 2, which I think is kind of a worship type type hymn that's written in the, the New Testament church. But here you also see it in Psalm 97 that all creation will worship him one day in the future. All will see his glory and how glorious he is and how magnificent he is, how awesome he is, and all will marvel at him. And all will bow before him, just like we saw there in Philippians chapter 2. So that is something that you see brought up quite often. I think it's a way for us to be reminded that even though people reject him today, in the future people will accept him. And know that, well, I won't accept him and be saved. I have to be careful about that because I think that could be leading people astray. (coughs) Um, People will at that point have been judged because they have not accepted Christ while they're on this earth. But in the future, they will know him as God. And uh, if they haven't accepted him, they will still have to pay for their own sins. The third point is verses 8 through 12, and that is that we worship him this day. So people who follow Christ worship him And we follow his righteousness, and we believe and we agree that God is righteous. And then we hate what he hates. That's one of the things that's brought out in this passage. We're going to hate what he hates, and then we rejoice because we're on the winning side. 1 Peter 1.8, it says, though you have not seen him. And that's true for all of us, right? We would say, okay, we haven't seen God face to face, but even though we haven't seen him, we love him. And though not seeing him now, we believe in him. And we rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. We should be led to rejoice and celebrate and have joy together in the body of Christ because of this God that we know and serve. And so I hope as we go through Psalm 97, you'll be be motivated, led to rejoice and worship this awesome God. If you haven't noticed, we're, we're doing it a little bit different order today. We're going to do the majority of our songs at the end because as a response to Psalm 97, we want to spend some time worshiping in song together and celebrating and rejoicing what God has done. So that is why we're, we're doing things a little bit different today. Well, let's take a look at Psalm 97. Before we do, we'll go ahead and pray. Father, open our hearts and minds to what you have to teach us today. God, we know that we're proud We're arrogant people, and we have a hard time listening. We could be described as hard-hearted, stubborn. God, we need to to have our hearts penetrated, and we know that your word is is sharper than a double-edged sword. It it cuts through, and so I pray that you would cut through and help us to learn and hear what you have to say. Teach us so that as we go through these thoughts out of Psalm 97, that we are led into a great time of worship before you. You are a God worth worshiping, adoring, loving, and following. We agree that you're right. We agree with your judgments. And while at times we struggle with them, we know at the end of the day that you are always right. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 97, verse 1, it says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many coasts and islands, so from coast to coast, all the islands, let them all 
worship him. Verse two, clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And here he gives us a picture in which we see God in all of his splendor and majesty and how awesome he is and we rejoice to it. But we also see God as one who is is clouds and total darkness surrounding him, that he has judgment with him. And there is a sense in which we stand in awe like God is, is like a, a thunderhead coming across the plains and we see how magnificent he is and how powerful he is at a distance. But as it becomes closer and the winds start to build and the rains start to come and the thunder and the lightning, we may want to run for cover because he is a powerful God. As a king with supreme power, there is no one to challenge his authority and should someone even dare they would find out quickly that they are not equal in power with God. Just at the sound of his name, a cord of fear really should be struck within us so that we turn to him with reverence. In fact, it could be argued if there is no reverence at the sound of his name, one might not even have an accurate view of God. Our view of God may be weak. It should cause within us a stirring to where we see him in all of his, his power, in all of his wonder, and we should be marveled at who he is. That's how this psalmist starts here. So in response, there is both reverence and rejoicing to God. With a supreme God at the will, there are a lot of victories in life, and that's the great part. But there's also correction if we disobey and if we go our own way and if we walk the path we want to walk. We have to understand that God loves us enough to correct us. And so there should be not only a, an awe of him and all of his wonder and splendor and the fact that he has given us victories, but there should also be somewhat of a healthy fear and understanding that as we follow him, there's a right path to follow him, and we cannot make up that following on our own. We cannot build our own path. Some of the victories I think that are worth noting just as you go through, especially the New Testament, is that we have victory over death and sin. 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. And he tells us in that passage, and you can look at it in more detail, but it talks about how we have overcome death in Christ. And not only have we have victory in that, but, but through that victory over death and sin, we have eternal life. Romans 5, 19 to 21, it says, For just as through one man's disobedience, he's talking about Adam back in the story of Adam and Eve, he says, Just as through that person's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespasses and reveal to us what sin really is, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And so Christ comes and he says, yeah, here's your sin and it's great, but my, my grace is even more. So verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I have been given eternal life. And so sometimes you and I will present ourselves where we're sinners saved by grace, which is a true statement. But don't be stuck on the fact that we were sinners and now we're saved simply by grace, but we actually have been given a new life. And sometimes we talk about the death of Christ, which is great, we need to, it's part of the gospel, but don't forget that the gospel includes the resurrection. And we're resurrected into a new life. Look at what Scripture tells us, another victory, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. 
We are a new creation in Christ. We're God's children. You know how amazing that is? We've been adopted as his children. Uh, we're going through a time right now where we have a foster child at home, and we don't know what his future is. We know that if he could stay with us, he has a home there, we would love him, we would care for him, we would grow him up. We would do our best to care for, for Carter. But it may be that he has to go a different direction, depending on what the courts decide. What's amazing as you look at that picture is that some kids wind up in situations where they grow up and they have a lot of their needs taken care of, uh, where they have possibilities to make better choices in the future and so forth. And then there are some kids that just get a bad situation. Right? And it's hard to watch those situations. But our faith reassures us that we're not in a bad situation. Because we are in Christ and we are God's children. He is our Father. We are a new creation. We are his children. We have put the old away, and now we are in the new, and that's our position in him. Our Lord reigns supreme over our life, and the victories we have are incredible. And so we ought to be led to say and rejoice in a way that shows that we are extremely thankful for what God has given us. I think sometimes we, we approach God and we're just like, yay, God's, God's God, right? Woohoo. How exciting is that? When we ought to be enamored by who he is, we ought to say, yes, God is our God. Who is greater? Who is more wonderful? In fact, paint this picture because here he's talking about Lord reigns and we don't see this so much, but, but go ahead and step back a few thousand years and imagine you're in a country and you've got other countries around you and what those countries want to do is come in and invade and take over your land and they don't care about you. They'll, they'll come in and they'll, they'll kill you, they'll take your children or they will uh, enslave you or something like that. So imagine you're in that situation and you've got a king and that king is supposed to put together an army and that army is supposed to protect you. And you hear there's a powerful country that's coming in. It's going to overtake you. And then there's a great war out there. And maybe your dad goes off to fight. Maybe your husband goes off to fight. And, and you're wondering if they're ever going to come back. And then there's the victory. And there's, there's the king. And he marches in. And he says, we won. And there's a huge relief that your children won't be taken away from you. That your home won't be taken away. How would you celebrate that? Yay, good job, king. We have a king that has fought the greatest battle and he has fought hard and we ought to rejoice what that king has done. The Lord reigns. Let us rejoice. And there are clouds of darkness and there's righteousness and there's justice all around him and, and he is like an awesome thunderhead coming across that plain which I mentioned earlier and with righteousness and justice as his foundation our mighty creator he makes decisions that are based on truth and facts and clear thinking and he's not making decisions based on just what feels good which is oftentimes what we see in our culture today right he, he makes 
decisions based on what is right and just, and we can trust him with that. Numbers 23, 19 tells us God is not a man. God is not a human being that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he not speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? I mean, he goes, what he says he will do. And we believe that. That's what God tells us. It's interesting, at the end of Solomon's life, one of the things he tells us, and as you think about this all-powerful, mighty God, he, he comes to a conclusion, and he says, he's, he's gone through a lot, he's learned a lot of things. The Bible says he's the wisest person who's ever lived. And look at what he has to say at the end of his life. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. That's his conclusion. Fear God and follow him because God is right and God is just. He's like a dark, he's got that dark cloud around him. There's judgment around him. And for those who disobey God, there should be fear. But for those who follow God, there is great rejoicing. Well, verses three and five kind of describe what that looks like in greater detail. Here's the outworking of God's awesome presence. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles, and the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Could you imagine that if you're just driving across the valley and at God's presence, bogus basin just melts away? The he's over here just disappear? That's what he's talking about here. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Nothing is as powerful as God. If he wanted to, he could flatten all the mountains. The presence of the Lord, the whole earth. That is how amazing, how powerful he is. His authority is unchallenged, his judgments are final, and his strength is unmatched. There's no greater being in all the universe. And God's presence, all people, all creation, tremble when face to face with the majesty of God. And so then look at verses 6 through 7. And here I think he's speaking of all creation. So believers, unbelievers alike. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the people see his glory. All who served carved images, those who boast in idols, will be put to shame. All gods must worship him. The heavens proclaim, he starts off, it's a... When God does something, he does something right. You can go into a store and you can pick up an item and you can compare. And there's different, you know, in a different store, you might have two or three different uh, manufacturers behind an item. And one might be a little bit more expensive, and one's a little bit cheaper. And you pick it up and you notice, hey, this is more of a quality item. You can walk through some houses and you can notice some houses are just more cheaply built and some houses are, are better quality. You can walk, step into a car and you can realize this one's higher quality, this one's lower quality. And you can say, this car was built right. Well, God, when he made his creation, he did things right. He knows how to do things right. And in the heavens, we see God's order, we see his power, we see his complexity and his perfection. It's amazing to me when you think about the the world and how it was created, and, and let's just take light, for instance. If you go back to the creation account, when God said, let there be light, he didn't create the sun and then light appeared. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And then later on, he created the sun. So think about that. God can create light without the source. 
It baffles a lot of people's minds who observe you know, creation. In fact, many will say, well, the earth has to be, the world, the universe has to be millions or billions of years old because we have stars that are billions of light years away. But what's it to God to create a light beam across the universe? He can step outside of his own laws and create a light beam, and at the end of that light beam, he can create a star. And that's what we see today, and we see God's awesome power being displayed in the heavens and in the universe. Out of dust, he can form the human mind and personality and flesh, and then somehow he makes it all work together so that you and I can walk down the street, you and I can have conversations with people and have relationships out of dust. Who else can do something like that? The heavens proclaim his righteousness. When he does things, he does them well and he does them right. Everything he does is perfect and it should not be mistaken for anything less than just mind-blowing awesomeness, if that's even a word. And we ought to be in awe of it and marveled. What's amazing is verse 7 goes on to point out there are those who serve idols. So with this awesome God who has created everything and has given us his word, which helps us understand where it came from and how he created things, there are still those who, who go to the bottom shelf and pull off a piece of wood and start to carve it and create some sort of an image, and then they put it on their mantle and they say, that's the God I'm going to serve. They serve idols. They come up with their own ideals their own chants, their own philosophies. There's whole theologies based on people's imagination rather than on the mighty God that created them. As a result, God has allowed people to fall away and go the path of unrighteousness. It's spoken about in Romans chapter 1. It says, therefore God delivered them. People have rejected the Almighty God. They've delivered them over to the desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Now we see that today. We'll see people walk away from God, and they'll follow the way of the world and the flesh. Listen, we saw that 2,000 years ago as well. In the Roman world, they did things that were similar to what we see in our culture today. And so we see it then, we see it today, and the truth is, people walk away from God, and God allows it. But we're not following that path. As believers in Christ, we're following the Creator, and we know that He is right and good, and we know that His path is right and just, and so we look to Him and we ask Him to help us understand more and more of the truth. He is set apart from all others, and so we follow Him. The heavens proclaim it. And there's truth behind it. Don't serve those idols. Serve him. We'll now go to verse 8. And as you look at verse 8, we've moved from seeing how great and awesome this God is in all of creation and all the world sees how amazing he is. Now he speaks specifically here in Israel's history to Jerusalem and the surrounding area, Zion or uh, Jerusalem hears and is glad, and Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth, and you are exalted above God. 
For Zion and Judah here, and they're glad, and they, they know and they trust the Lord, just like you and I today, we place our faith in him. They believe that his judgments are good, but our flesh and our mind don't always agree with that. I think that's maybe the most difficult part here, right? Because it talks specifically about God's judgments, and he makes those judgment calls at times, and we may not always see it that way. But we need to agree. We need to agree that he's superior and he's flawless in his way of thinking. We need to submit to that. I know we're tired at hurt times, and we hurt at times, and, and there are times in our lives where we feel like if we could just have God change some things and give us a little more comfort, that our life would be better and we would be happier, right? Ever feel like that? And God allows some things to happen in our lives and it seems like it's more painful and difficult, but we choose to trust him through it because God's, God's purpose and plan is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, and not make us comfortable, And we accept that, even though at times it's difficult. He is most high. He is the Mount Everest of gods. There is no other that is higher or greater than him. Many will try to compete, right? And whether it's other people that rise up and try to compete, or whether we ourselves in our own pride try to compete with God, we will at some point in our lives try to compete with him to some degree and say, I could do a better job than God can. I'm sure nobody's ever thought that, right? At times we think, we look at the world and say, if we just did this, if God just did this, God, why don't you go ahead and do this? And maybe we even start to tell God what to do. There are nearly 8 billion people walking on the face of the earth, and nearly 8 billion people probably think to themselves they could do a better job at some point in time. Think about the chaos if 8 billion people are making decisions that would affect the whole world and universe. God is a God who is in control. He is the most high over all the earth, and we look to him and we say at times, even though we don't always understand his judgments, we don't always understand why things happen the way they are, we trust that he is good and he is above all other gods, and we give him praise, honor, and glory for it. Verse 10, you who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones, and he rescues them from the power of the wicked. If we love the Lord, we follow him, we understand and trust that his way is always right, it's always just, and we hate evil. The God we worship is the God we trust, and he helps us draw a line in the sand between that which is good and that which is evil. And if we really love him, we'll see the evil and we'll cling to his ways rather than the ways of the devil. For God brings protection, but Satan wants to destroy us. God wants to point us to his son, Jesus Christ, but Satan wants to rob us of life. And there are times in your lives where we'll have opportunities for Satan to attack. And Satan wants nothing more than destroy our church. He wants nothing more to destroy your life. He wants nothing more to destroy your family, your marriage. He wants to pull your eyes off of God. He wants kids growing up in our our Christian families saying, oh, those Christians are hypocrites. I saw mom and dad, they make a mistake. I saw those Christians at church, they make those mistakes. And oh, they're not really sincere and genuine in their faith. Right? He wants to plant that in the minds of people. 
There's arrows that he throws at us. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, in every situation, take up a shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one because the arrows will come. And I think one of the ways we do this is found in Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. It's why we have a church family. It's why we get together. And we start that every week on a Sunday morning. We, even our, our calendar days, they start Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday is our first fruits. We put it aside. We say, God, these are the days I'm going to give to you. It should be the time we put in our lives and say, this is the time I'm going to come together for encouragement to go out there into the world and be faithful to you. And we encourage one another, we love each other, we care for each other, we build each other up, and I hope that's what Sunday is for you. And then all the other things that we do supplement that. We do life groups to supplement that. We have small groups, guys that meet together, ladies that meet together. We have our own Bible reading plans to encourage and and supplement that so we can grow in our faith and become more Christ-like. It's the only way, really, as we pull up that shield of faith, it's the way that we can help each other, encourage each other to, to be able to, to fight against those flaming arrows that Satan wants to use to destroy us. You who love the Lord hate evil. God protects us, and he gives us the church to help protect us as well. Then the last two verses as we close here. Light dawns for the righteous, gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that God's light is, is, is like the morning light that kind of comes over the horizon and shines on us. It's different than the noonday light, and I think there's an example here, a great analogy here of what it's like. So in the morning you have the light, and it's just starting to come up over, and it's, it's starting to scatter across the earth. You don't have full light yet, but you're starting to see what is right. And for you and I who live on this earth, that's kind of where we're at. Like we've been saved, we understand that Jesus Christ has given his life for us and that he's justified us so we can stand before God the Father through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're beginning to understand more and more righteousness and as we grow in our faith, we understand righteousness more and more. But there comes a time in the future where the righteousness will be fully revealed and we'll fully get it. And that's like at noonday. But that's what we call glorification or when we go to heaven. That's still in the future. It's still yet to come. But right now you're starting to see righteousness as it spreads across the earth. We see God in his righteousness. We see that he's at work. We see that he's saving people. We see that he wants us to follow him. And and he shows us how to follow him through his word. So we cling to that which is right. And we're glad in it. Because we believe that our God's way is the right way. Sometimes we make tough decisions. The way of the world will tell us to go do something else. But we say, no, I'm going to follow God and his path and his righteousness. And we Rejoice in it. What we know today is that God reigns, and everybody will know it in the future. So, as you think about that, and as you think about Psalm 97 and what it has to say, and maybe even Philippians 2 and what it has to say, and other passages throughout Scripture that point to worship, it's telling us our God reigns. What are we doing about it? Do we just say, ah, that's nice? Or do we live 
like he is God and we are not. And so we wanted to give us all an opportunity to, to end in worship this morning in song, just crying out to God, singing out to God, praising God. Maybe you'll just do it silently. Maybe it's just something internally you just want to pour your heart out to God and say, God, I believe you reign. Maybe I struggle with that. But I believe you reign. And I place you as God over my life. So a couple questions just to ask as we close here. Do you, one, need help living your life in a way that puts God in the center of your life? Giving him supreme control. We have our response cards, and I just invite you to let us know, and we'll do our best to show you what we do at Involve to help that. Like I say, on Sunday mornings, we come together. It's kind of the, the kickstart of the week, and we say, this is the time we get together to go out there and help us throughout the rest of the week. And then we have ways that we supplement that throughout the week. Well, I'd like to show you how to do that. So you can say that on your response card. The second thing is, have you been resisting God's work in your life and you want to surrender to him? You can just simply write yes on your response card and we'll follow up with you. But you'll have to give your name and some maybe contact information if we don't have that already. Otherwise, we can't follow up. But, but think about those things. It, it, are you needing to surrender to him? Then we'd like to follow up with you as well. Maybe there's something else, and feel free to write that on a card as well. You just need prayer for something, or you have some question, and you'd like somebody to follow up with you, then we would love to do that. But think about those things as we close, and as I say, we will spend the rest of our morning in worship and song together.